All right. Hey, good morning again. Good to be with you. Doug, again, it's my name. So if you're new to Parkview, especially welcome you here. I would love to meet you afterwards uh, in the foyer today. And like John said, we'd love to see you get connected uh, with our church. So we're using, like John said, this first three weeks of kind of the school year or our ministry year in a lot of ways as to kind of look at the foundations of what Parkview is all about. And what you maybe caught a glimpse of in the video you just saw is that we are one church that meets in three locations every Sunday. And so we have an east side campus where we have done ministry since 2003. Way back in those days, we looked at, if you drew about a six block radius from where our east campus is, about 80% of the poor in Johnson County lived in that area. And we just felt like as a church, God was calling us there to serve and extend the gospel there. And so over the last 16 years, we've seen a ministry called The Spot. We've seen Faith Academy, now a faith-based um, education uh, designed for maybe some low-income kind of families where we provide 90% of that tuition for those students. We're seeing amazing things happen year six of Faith Academy. And then last September, we started a location in North Liberty, again, just desiring to see the gospel extended throughout Johnson County. So um, our strategy as a church is one that we didn't come up with on our own. We looked at the gospels and we saw what Jesus did with his disciples. And that's where the gather, grow, go comes from. And so the next three weeks, we're going to take each of those and just kind of spotlight what do we mean by gather to worship? What do we mean by growing in Christ-likeness? And then what do we mean by going on mission? And so if you're new to Parkview, this is a great series for you to kind of lean in and listen and see uh, what God is doing here and see where you can jump in and help us get this going forward, okay? So it's even good for us, though, if this is our church, we have people here that have been attending for like 50 years, right? And so it's always good to just go back to the foundations, to the basics, and say, oh yeah, that's why we do that, or that's what this is all about. So there's like marching bands and football teams all over the area that are starting to practice. And usually those first couple practices are just taking that group or that team through the very foundations and the fundamentals of that sport or of marching band. And so the same deal here is what we're doing is just making sure we understand what God is calling us to do. And again, like I said, we are, we are not innovating this. This is something that Jesus has done. And, and I love reading about how Jesus lived his life and did ministry. Ministry. But in Mark chapter 3, we're introduced to a time where Jesus stayed up all night long and prayed. And you go, what's he praying about that's so important that he stays up all night long and prays? Well, he was praying for who he would choose to be his disciples. And then in that passage, it tells us what his plan was for the disciples, how he was going to grow them and raise them up so that he could send them out to do the same things that God sent Jesus to the earth the Father sent Jesus to do, right? So in Mark 3.13, it says that, that Jesus called them to come to him and then to be with him and to go out in his authority. And so that's where we get this a gather to worship, a grow in Christ-likeness, and then go on mission. And so what, a, what an amazing invitation that we get to be a part of that as well, that Jesus looks at every one of us and says, I want you to come to me. I want you to be in my presence. I want to step into your life and transform you. I want to grow you so that then I can send you and that you can live for the ultimate purpose there is to live for on this earth, to represent Jesus Christ and share his gospel. So, so again, this isn't just a history lesson of what Jesus did. This is what he is calling us into today as a church. 
And so our focus this morning is going to be this essential step that God invites us into his presence to gather uh, to worship him. And throughout the world today, this is happening. Like in all kinds of cultures, in all kinds of settings, people are doing what we're doing. They're gathering to worship God. And you see this kind of throughout the history of God and his people, that our God is a God that loves to gather people around him to worship him. In fact, there's times where one of the commandments uh, to his people in the Old Testament was, you shall have no other gods before me. And he describes himself as a jealous God. And so you might hear that word jealous in God and say, well, God, are you being kind of petty? Like, are you that insecure that you're afraid that your people might worship someone else besides you? And that's not the heart of God at all. God is pretty secure in who he is. He, is, he does whatever he wants. He's almighty. He's all powerful. But he loves us. And so there's no such thing. Like, you can't divide this world into people who worship and people who don't. Like, we all are worshipers. Every person on this planet worships someone or something or some achievement. And so what God is saying is like, I want you to have no gods before, you, before me because there is no God like me. There is no God that when you worship that God will fulfill you for all of eternity, will meet your deepest needs, and will satisfy you fully as he can. So when God says, have no other gods before me, or that he's a jealous God, that's out of his love for you and me. He knows all other gods pale in comparison to him. And so even this whole concept of gathering to worship God, like that can't just be our idea. Like even, even if we did have that concept, like, wow, there's an amazing infinite God. I just want to go worship him. Like that's not our call. That has to start from him. And so this whole concept that God invites us to worship him shows us who he is, that he's a God that is that generous, that kind, that merciful, that he lets people like us come and meet in his name and gather in his name. You see this throughout the Bible as God traces his relationship with his people, that he wants to be a God, that his people call him our God. Like that almost sounds arrogant, like the creator God is my God. God. Like, we, we can't make that up. Like, that can't be our idea or our initiative. That's his initiative. That shows his heart that he is infinite. He is all-powerful. He is all-loving, and he sees us, and he wants us to gather and worship him and call him our God, and he wants us to call ourselves. We are God's people. Like that, that is an amazing concept, and so we're going to look at a passage this morning that, that takes a run at that concept. Like, what does it mean to gather to worship? What does it look like for the people of God to come and gather? And so I'd like you to stand as I read the passage, just so we give it our attention and our focus this morning. And I'm going to read from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. We believe that the Bible is God's word, and so this is God speaking to us this morning about this amazing topic that he wants us to be a people that gather in his presence and worship him. So let me read this out loud. You can follow along either in your Bible or on the words on the screen. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, 
And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let me pray for us. God, this morning we're stepping into uh, a big topic and an amazing topic that people like us are welcome into the presence of the infinite, almighty, holy God. And God, there's, there's a couple dangers here this morning for some of us. This might feel too familiar, and it could be that we're totally missing out what you're calling us into. Or this concept could be so foreign to us, like the whole concept of drawing near to God just seems impossible, maybe to some of us in light of what we've done or who we are. I just pray you would teach us today, because God, this is so foundational. If we would be a people that truly gather and truly worship you, the things you would do in our lives are just unbelievable. You would transform us in so many ways. You would change us we would be so different. And we as a church would be radically changed. So would you speak your words to your people today? Help us understand and help us put them to practice. In your great name we pray, amen. All right, you guys, thank you. Grab a seat. So it was last February, a friend of mine, just he, he made this so low key, like I had no idea what was coming. But he, a friend of mine said, hey, would you like to go, would you and your son like to go to an Iowa game? Uh, with us. And it happened to be the Michigan game. Michigan was like top 10 and all this. And so it's like, yeah, it'd be great. He goes, well, what if we, we'll pick you up. We'll go, uh, we'll grab something to eat and we'll go to the game. And again, just so low key about it. And it turned out my son had a practice. So like, well, we, I'm not sure about the picking up thing, but we'll, we'll meet you there. We'll meet you at Carver. So, so after practice, we, sun showers up and we get into Carver and we have to go to the will call area to get our to get our tickets. And again, I don't understand how all this worked, but we go to Will Call and we give our name and we just get blank stares. It's like, okay, did he, did he stand us up or something here? Is this? But then just a couple minutes later, um, I've been in different parts of Carver before, but not frequently. But, but my friend just kind of appears out of an elevator and says, oh yeah, you know, and has tickets and why don't you come with me? And so we go down this elevator and there's a room where people are eating. And that's where it was like, we'll grab something to eat together. I thought we'd hit a concession stand or something. But no, like there's wings and there's like legitimate food just kind of laid out there. My son was super excited. I kind of was too. So there's that going on, right? And then it gets to be game time. And I'm thinking like, oh yeah, we better get to our seats. I'm thinking, go back up the elevator, go out the concourse and go. And he's like, no, just come on, let's go. And so we end up walking out through the tunnel, like where the players come out. And then we walk around the court and so we are on the court level and it's the sideline opposite the benches where the players sit and there's kind of a table there kind of like press row and the last two seats on that table uh, were for my son and I like just basically on mid-court front row just sitting right there like those are the kind of seats that when you're in the normal seats and you look down you see those two empty ones like how come nobody's sitting there like I'm just going to go try to sit there and you've ever tried that there'll be somebody coming over and go oh, where's your ticket who says you can be here where's your pass you know you just don't just stroll into that place 
But the generosity, the kindness of my friend, we got to sit there. Like it was, it was, and we won and they stormed the court. Like it was one of those, one of those nights, right? But again, we did nothing to get that. We did nothing to deserve that. So take that concept. Maybe that means absolutely nothing to some of you. But, but take that concept and just magnify that by billions of times. Like what, what this passage in Hebrews is talking about is that we have been given access not just to half-court seats, Carver Hawkeye, top five basketball game, but like into the presence of the infinite, almighty, all-powerful God. Like we are, we are ushered right into there by what Jesus has done for us. So, so quick background. Anytime you're reading a passage and it starts with the word therefore, you need to ask, what's it there for? And so verse 19 started with therefore. So what's it, what's, this is kind of a summary. Therefore what? And so you look before verse 19, and basically I think the therefore is catching the book of Hebrews up to this point. Because the book of Hebrews was written to uh, Hebrew converts to Christianity who were now facing a lot of opposition and challenge about their faith in Christ. Isn't that, doesn't that seem to be a common theme throughout the Bible, that when you follow Jesus, there's going to be opposition and there's going to be hardships. So the book of Hebrews was written to encourage uh, these believers. And so uh, if I could summarize the book of Hebrews for you in three words, it would be these. Jesus is better. <laughs> Jesus is better. It starts out with how Jesus is fully God, fully man. Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Again, for Jewish Hebrew converts, like that's a big deal. But where Jesus shines the brightest is in this role of a high priest. Because in the Old Testament worship, the way that, that you, you, you could not gain access into the presence of God, in the Old Testament system, system, that was set up for one person, the high priest, who once a year would step into the part of the temple called the Holy of Holies. And once a year, that one high priest would give an offering on behalf of the sins of God's people so that those sins would be forgiven and so that those people could call God their God. And so there still was that special relationship. There still was that calling God our God that we've talked about, but there was not that same concept of being able to draw near into the presence of God until Jesus came, the great high priest who gave one ultimate sacrifice, and that was his own life, the sinless son of God died on the cross for our sins, took our sins on himself, died, and then rose again from the dead to defeat the power of sin and death. So now anyone who believes in Jesus Christ has sins forgiven and can now step into, who can now enter into uh, the presence of God. That is powerful. And so, and so that's kind of a summary of the book of Hebrews. That's kind of a summary of those first three verses about we have confidence now to enter in the presence of God, not because of who we are, not because of our performance, not because we go to church or we try to be as good as we can, but it's all based on what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And so now, because of this, I don't know if you noticed it, but when we read the passage, there are three statements that were started with, let us. So because Jesus has done this, let us, so speaking to all the Hebrew Christians at that time today, speaking to all of us, what are three things we should do now that Jesus has enabled us to come into God's presence through his sacrifice for us? What should we do with that? So verse 22 is the first one. 
says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean and with an evil, and with, I'm sorry, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So you'll see as you read through Hebrews that this is the great passion of this writer, is that he wants God's people to draw near to God. So he doesn't want us to just feel like we're forgiven or that when God looks at you, he just doesn't hold his nose as much anymore. But it's not just that from a distance God has forgiven you, but God wants you up close. God wants you in his presence. So don't settle for a faith where God is distant. Like this is a faith that through Jesus now, you have access before the very presence of God. Like you can call God your God. You can come into his presence through Jesus Christ. So you see it, there's three different times he uses that same phrase in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 4.16, he says, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's a great statement about our prayer lives, that any time throughout your week, you need something, you need strength, you need help, God says, you come, you come into my presence because Jesus Christ is your high priest. He's the one that brings you into the presence of God. So in Hebrews 7.25, it says that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So after Jesus died, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And so you might ask, what's Jesus doing today? This verse tells us and others that Jesus is now at the right hand of God the Father, and he is praying for us. He is praying for you. So once again, it says he's able to save to the uttermost. It's not just, well, you're forgiven. Salvation to the uttermost means come into God's presence. Come receive all that God has for you, and then live this life like you are truly set free from sin and death and fear and worry and discouragement like you are set free come into the presence of god and so hebrews eleven six is one more time that phrase comes up and it's a great definer of what faith looks like hebrews eleven six says without faith it is impossible to please god for whoever desires to come near to draw near to god must believe that he is and that he rewards those who eagerly seek him so again this is the author of hebrews calling us to faith. And you want to see what faith looks like. You believe that Jesus Christ can bring you into the presence of God so that now you can eagerly seek him and and let him know what you need. And you can anticipate that God is going to reward you for that. God is going to provide what you need because you drew near to him. Guys, those are powerful promises that all come to us because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Um, that, that uh, when I, um, so when we gather weekly to worship in God's presence, there, there are things that God communicates to us in here. When we gather to worship, um, I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit, but we do two things. And you see it kind of in any gathering of believers around the world and throughout the ages. It's kind of two hallmarks of Christian gathering. So there's singing and there's proclaiming truth proclaiming promises. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But, but one thing God desires to do when we come into our presence is to speak to us and remind us that he has exactly what we need. And so, and so you can think about this whole gathering to worship 
in two different ways. You can gather to worship God. We can do that uh, throughout the week. Let's call that worship scattered. Like that when we're not together as a church and we're all over Johnson County, all over Eastern Iowa, wherever we are, we can come into the presence of God, find mercy and help in time of need. That's, that's awesome. So every one of us uh, can, can do that. But then it's also in those times where we are in his presence, the other piece we encourage you to do when you are with God is, is that you're praying to him and you're also reading his word. You're hearing his truth proclaimed to you. And I was just, I went through um, just some of my journals from the last couple of weeks. Like, what are some things that God has reminded me of when I've come into his presence the last couple of weeks? Things like, Doug, I, I've got this. Like, you're Doug and I'm God. Let me, let me be God. You be Doug, right? I got this. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Or, or you are not alone. Or I, I love you, you know, or I, I, will, I will provide for you. Those, those kind of messages are what God has for us as we continue to meet with him. So over the last six months or so, maybe you've caught some of these different things in different news outlets, and, um, but there's an epidemic in our country that they're calling the loneliness epidemic. Have you heard about some of this? That, that most recently I've read that up to a quarter of Americans say that they are profoundly lonely, and that about 50% of our country will say, there are times where I feel very alone. Like, that's staggering. In fact, what you're starting to see now attached to those statistics are some of the health uh, detriments that come when somebody is living alone. And so uh, medical research is showing things like there's links to depression, to anxiety, even things like heart disease and stroke are having more and more connections to, to loneliness. And so um, even to the point like, you know, it's bad when they're comparing it to smoking, right? They say being lonely is even more detrimental to your health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It just, it just makes you sad for what's going on in our country. And yet, on the other hand, these kind of studies have been around for 10 or 15 years where you look at what are medical uh, experts, researchers finding happens to the person who worships like once a week, even the people who set aside an hour a week to go and worship God. There are statistics that are showing things like decreases in blood pressure or boost to the immune system or adding two or three years to a person's life. That sounds like a supplement of some kind, right? Or it's, it's better than eating kale, right? So you got that in there. So, but just you're seeing both trends going on and you just see like from the heart of God and from the scriptures and the truth, like what, a, what an incredible advantage it is for us to gather in the presence of God, to know that God welcomes you here. You know, when the Bible says in the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. Like what, a, what an amazing gift, what an amazing invitation and my encouragement, my question maybe for you this morning is, is your faith doing that for you? Your faith isn't meant to just keep you at a distance from God, but your true faith in Jesus Christ ushers you right into the very presence of God, into the throne, right at the foot of the throne of God, where you can find grace and mercy to help in time of need. So, so the first encouragement was, let us draw near because of what Jesus has done. The second encouragement is to let us hold fast. So verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I feel like when we read the word hope, 
that I need to constantly maybe kind of correct that. Because in our vernacular, sometimes we think hope is kind of a wish. I hope the Hawkeyes go undefeated this year, right? So but that's kind of a wish, right? But when the Bible talks about hope, it means a confidence, something you can be absolutely sure about. And so the writer here says, hold fast to what you can be confident about, what you can be absolutely sure about, and that our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is in there is a Savior. He was fully God, fully man. He died. He rose. He offers us eternal life, access to God. That is our hope. That's our confidence. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God. You guys, that is our hope. That is our confidence. God has done an astonishingly costly thing so that we can come into his presence. God uh, is, you know, he is our greatest lover. He has provided for our greatest need, and it came a great sacrifice for him. So that is our hope. The gospel is our hope. And so like I said earlier, when God's people have gathered throughout history, uh, there's singing and there's proclaiming. John Piper is a pastor, author from Minneapolis for many years. I've heard him talk on this subject a couple different times, super inspiring about how you just notice that about Christians. And it's because our hope is based in a message. Like we have good news. And so that good news is sung about and that good news is proclaimed wherever God's people uh, have gathered. And so, and so we sing and we teach truth from God's word. That's, that's our hallmark. When we gather, we sing, and we proclaim what is true. So the Christian faith is based on that news that God loves sinners, and Jesus died for sinners. And so, and so um, God wants to speak to us. He wants to remind us of his promises. So again, when we are scattered throughout this week, you pray, you go into God's presence, you read his word, he's going to remind you of promises that he has given you. But when we come together, there's a whole nother dynamic of that. I mean, just picture this. This room this morning, ideally, is filled with people who know God through Jesus Christ. And when you're off by yourself during the week, those, there can be some powerful moments. I've had some this summer where it's just me and God, me and my Bible, just praying to God, and, and I sense him encouraging me and speaking to me. But guys, just imagine the power now of every, all these individuals who have that relationship with God now coming together, like to sing together, to hear God's word proclaimed together. That is so unique to Christianity. So um, you could look at other world religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam. There is not the same. There is not this same gathering where there is singing and proclaiming. A couple weeks from now, when people gather in Kinnick, they'll be singing a fight song, but it's not like anybody gets up at halftime and talks about the history of Iowa football, and that inspires everybody to live more confidently and to drop to their knees in praising Herky, right? So you don't see that. Or a week from tomorrow, there'll be different lecture halls opening up and organic chemistry teachers talking about covalent bonds and, and ions and all this. And so, I mean, but there won't be songs afterwards lifted to the periodic table or to famous chemists of the past, you know, so you'll see maybe one or the other as we gather as a people, but it's uniquely as we gather to worship God because our message is based on a proclamation, on a hope that there's singing and there's proclamation of 
truth. And so, and so I don't know if you've thought of this before, but when we gather in this room to worship God, there's really three, there's three audiences. I mean, maybe, maybe you've thought about some of this before, but one audience is God himself. Like you are here because you're grateful, you love him, you want to praise him for what he's done for you. And it could be too that you need him. And he's honored by all of that. That that's why you gather. That's why you're not sleeping in. That's why you're not in the golf course. That's not you're playing Fortnite. Whatever you do, like that's why you're here right now. So you want to thank him. You want to praise him. You love him and you need him. So you're here uh, for that. And so God is an audience. But I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Uh, th- there's an audience sitting around you too. The people sitting next to you are an audience. You coming to worship makes a statement to them too. Like, hey, I'm, I believe this too. Hey, I need this God too. Like, I love this God too, don't you? And there's, there's a powerful dynamic about sharing this experience with other people. A couple weeks ago, um, our student ministry, junior high and high school kids were at a camp in Missouri, and we saw about 18 kids at that camp trust Christ, start following Jesus, either rededicate or first time. But this speaker was so powerful at the end of that camp, said, hey, when you guys go home from this camp, don't, don't try to do this alone. Like, that's not going to work. That's not how God has wired you. You need others around you. You need to get into a group. And so that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is saying to us too. Is like, we hold fast. All these are plural exhortations. Like, let us hold fast to this truth. And so when you're here on a Sunday, you are making a statement to the people around you that I need this. I love Jesus. And he is amazing. Even the way you guys sing. Like, so we could have an audition here. Like, who's the worst singer in this room? Right now, we could, like, mic us all up and let us try to sing, and I'd be right there with whoever the worst is, right? And so that's not the point. The point is that even when you sing, even when you are standing with these songs, you are speaking to the people around you that I love Jesus, and I need him. Like, even uh, you guys, whoever I was standing in front of, like, all I have is Christ. Like, you guys singing that fired me up. First hour, I was sitting next to John and Rachel, and even just hearing the two of them sing was so encouraging and affirming to know that there's others around me that need God just like I do, love him just like I do. Because you have no idea who's sitting around you this morning who, and what they're going through and, and the encouragement they need possibly from you, even just you, actively like worshiping and loving God and what that can do uh, to the people around you. So three audiences, God, each other, and really the world, the world that we live in, this, you are making a statement where you're taking an hour a week and you're just worshiping, you're worshiping God. Like you are making a statement to them that you have found hope. And so um, we're going to talk about this a little bit, like uh, how can the world tell that we've really been in God's presence? But I'd like it to be known that I would love this church to be a place where anybody can come in and see what this is about. Like we, we must do all we can do uh, to make access to God as clear and as simple as possible. The only, the only thing we will offend with here is the truth. We can't change the gospel. We can't water down the gospel. But the way we treat people, the way we welcome people, even the way we talk about scripture up here, sometimes you may hear me ex- over, maybe you might think it's over explaining things. Like, why did you have to say that? It's like, because there's people here that don't understand this book and I want them to know all they can know 
about who God is and that they can know God through Jesus Christ, right? So, so let us draw near, let us hold fast. And the last one is kind of linked to what we were just talking about. Verse 24, let us consider one another. Let me read these last two verses. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's really interesting. That phrase, consider one another, there's only two times that phrase was used in the book of Hebrews. One is all the way back in chapter 3, verse 1, where he encourages people to consider Jesus. Like, think about that statement. Like, meditate on Jesus, observe Jesus, study Jesus, like be drawn to Jesus is that nuance in chapter 3. But here he uses the same phrase, about each other. Like when you come to worship, it's not just about you. It's not just about what you're going to get out of it. Um, it's about consider Jesus and consider one another. What a powerful, what a powerful gathering that would be. And that is when we come and our focus is on Jesus and our focus then is on each other. How can we help? How can we serve? How can we encourage each other? And not just what can I get out of this, but what can I give? because I'm part of this gathering today. It's really interesting that this, this is kind of where we're stopping our passage today. But if you skim down a few verses, um, the author talks about what these believers have been going through together, the price they've been paying as a group of people because they're following Jesus Christ. In verse 32, he says, Recall the former days after you were enlightened. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. In other words, sometimes people were being persecuted for Christ, being, being Christians following Jesus. Sometimes the Christians were seeing Christians being persecuted, and they just went and joined in. Well, if you're going to persecute them, persecute me too. Like, so that's, there's, there's a loyalty there. Verse 34, and you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. There was a resolve. There was a confidence among these people. They were going to bat for each other. They were serving each other because they're just a perfect example of what they were being encouraged to do. Consider Jesus and consider one another. Stir one another on to love and good deeds. And so when you gather together, when you gather with other believers, that's, that's what we're to do. Not just what am I getting out of this, but wow, I am getting so much out of being in the presence of God. Now, how can I help the people around me? And you, you, you talk about a people who are gathering to worship with those focuses in mind. You will see a community of followers of God that will stand out so distinctly in this world that heads can't help but to turn and say, what are you guys worshiping? What are you guys doing when you get together? So I'm humbled when I read about believers in other parts of the world, uh, and the cost it lays on them to gather to worship. Okay, I read a couple this week. Um, one is in Egypt. I don't know if you remember about a year and a half ago on Palm Sunday, 2017, where a church filled with Egyptian worshipers uh, celebrating on Palm Sunday was hit by terrorists and 50 people were killed. And so what's really interesting is about an hour or two after that, in the same region, there was another church and you would think, okay, 
terrorists have attacked, what's that going to do for the Christians in the area? Are they going to just stay home? Are they going to just stay home? Let's just read our Bibles at home today. No, they gathered and they packed out a church in the same area. And that pastor totally flipped his message just an hour or two after that terrorist attack. And his message went viral throughout all of Egypt and the Mideast and to parts of the world. And his three-part message was this. Number one, to the terrorists, thank you. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought that would be my first two words. But thank you for giving our brothers and sisters the chance to be martyrs for Jesus Christ. Number two, we love you. We love you. And we want you to know that Jesus loves you too. And number three, we pray for you. We pray for you to meet God. And they gathered and they packed out that church. And that was their message. That was their marching orders for the next week. Guys, that, that is awesome. Or how about this one in, a, in North Korea, probably one of the harshest countries right now to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I read about a woman in a prison camp who loved Jesus so much she couldn't help but to talk about him. And she led five other women to, to know who Jesus is. And they were so desperate to like meet together, but they were under constant scrutiny from prison guards. The only place they could meet in some form of privacy was either in like shower areas or bathroom areas. And so they would go and gather in those areas and share as much scripture as they knew and could remember. And they would whisper songs with each other just knowing how desperate they were to have that community with one another, to gather in God's presence. You know, and I, I um, not, to, not to judge or be critical, but sometimes we can be so casual about the importance of doing what we're doing. And I just want to, sometimes as Americans, we think, yeah, we got this down. We got this Christianity thing down. But I look at these parts of the world where they are just front and center aware of how hard it is to follow Jesus, the opposition that's coming our way, man, what's their first instinct and move? It's to get together and to gather together. I think we can be so lulled into complacency and downplay the dangers of sin, downplay the dangers of just kind of blending in with our society and our culture, that our, our, our hunger for gathering to worship is far less than it needs to be. Don't, don't feel beaten down this morning. Feel called up that God is a God who sent his son to die for us so that we can gather together in the presence of a holy creator God so that he can give us grace and mercy to help in time of need. So let me just end with this question. Um, how, will, how will Iowa City know? How will your community, your neighbors, the people you work with, go to school with, people on your team, how will they know that you have gathered in the presence of God? I mean, you might tell them, I went to church, I'm in a Bible study, like, that's cool, that's good. But how can they really tell if we as a people have truly been in the presence of God? I think they would see three, at least three things. One, I think they'd see courage. I think they'd see confidence that you know you're in the presence of God. You know that you are, you know, God is your God. And so you'll have courage uh, to say what needs to be said, to serve where you need to serve, to go help. Like you'll, you'll be known for your confidence and courage. I think second, I think you'll be known for, let me just clump some words here. You'll be known for your true love, like your willingness to sacrifice yourself, kind of throw humility in there, that this world isn't about you. It's about the people around you, about because your needs are met, you're satisfied by an amazing God, so you are free not to live for yourself, but for them. So your generosity, your kindness, will stand out. 
And then third, Psalm 1611 says, in the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. Like I think just your, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of what's going on, just that joyful confidence in you will be a hallmark that you have been in the presence of God. But would we be a people, would we be a church that truly gather in the presence of God to worship so that we can communicate those things to our city? Confidence, humility, kindness, joy, and turn heads. And they go, where are you getting that? It's like, we're just getting that from the God who made us, who welcomes us into his presence. So let me, let me pray, and I'm going to give you a chance to pray first, and then I'll pray, and then uh, we'll wrap up with a song here. But let me just give you three things. First, could I just give you a chance to just thank God that he is the kind of God that wants you to come into his presence. I want you to call on him and call him your God, and you can be called his people. Just thank him for his kindness. Thank him for what Christ has done for you. I'm going to give you a chance to just respond to that concept of drawing near. Like just God wants you to draw near to him. He, he wants you to, to just be in his presence. He wants to hear your voice constantly crying out for what you need. And so as you look at your faith this morning, would you say your faith has fully drawn you into the presence of God? Because if not, I'm not sure that's the faith God is calling you to. He's calling you to faith in Jesus Christ, who has completely washed you from your sins and has fully called you into God's presence. So just talk to God for a little bit. Have you drawn near? Are you drawing near to him? And just if you are, thank him. God, it's awesome to live my life knowing you are with me. But if you're not, maybe it's God, help me understand. God, give me the courage to understand just what it means to come to you God, help me prioritize you. Let me see that you're the only God who will fully satisfy me. And let's close with this one. Where you're, you're talking about this invitation to come before the throne of the Almighty God to give you what you need in a time of need. Like, what would you say is your greatest need right now? just in God's presence, surrounded by his people, surrounded by others that are doing the same thing. Just tell God, what do you need from him? Out of his great mercy, out of his great love, what do you need from him this morning? God, may we truly be a people that just quickly know our inadequacy and our deep need for you. And then would you quickly remind us of all that you have done for us so that we can draw near to you, that you are merciful, that you are great, that Jesus died to bring us near. And so then may we be a people who truly draw near to you. May we be a people who gather to worship. And may we be a people who truly turn heads as people see us living with courage, with compassion, and with joy, to the point where they say, where are you getting that? 
You just say, I, I get this from God through Jesus Christ. In his great name we pray, amen.